Well, good morning and welcome again to Lake Forest Davidson. My name is Gray. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And to those at home, we're glad you're tuning in. And those in the field, we're glad you're here too. Uh, and welcome everyone again to our first 915 uh, worship service. So, yeah. Uh, it's good to be here with you. And welcome also to the college students. It's fun to see a lot of you guys back, uh, back out here with us too. So as I mentioned, uh, my name is Gray, one of the pastors on staff here, and today we are continuing a series called Rebuilding. We're about a month and a half in, we have one week left, and today we will continue, but throughout it we've kind of been wrestling with the question of uh, what, what can this disruption that has been 2020, how can that set us up to rebuild our lives in a way that's more centered around Jesus? And uh, I've been doing a lot of rebuilding of my own here the past few months. My, my uh, parents got our daughter, Isla, she's two, got her some, some bag of wooden blocks. And so we've been building a lot of uh, towers. She calls them Tawa. Uh, she says it like she's from Massachusetts or something like that. But, but we build towers and there are lots of different designs. Uh, she likes when they get really tall. She's a tall Tawa. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, lots of different designs, lots of different uh, kind of formations and, and structures, and, and the lifespan on these towers is not very long. They, uh, they fall down for one of two reasons. One, Isla will yell, uh, Isla's my daughter, she'll yell, fall tower. She's, she's watching now, and she'll probably, uh, probably be saying that right now, actually. But, uh, but she'll yell, fall tower, and then she'll, uh, she'll do, she does this all the way down um, the tower, and, and knocks it all the way down, literally all the way down to the ground. Uh, and uh, and the other way it falls down, though, is if you step too close to the tower. Because here's the thing. We build these towers in our living room, which has carpeted floors. So we're building wood, wooden towers on carpet. And also our floors, they give a little bit. I'm, I'm not sure if that's supposed to happen or not. But our, our floors bend when you step on them. And so when she moves around or if I walk around at the base, a lot of times uh, these towers fall down. And so, so when, when this happens... When you walk around the tower or when Isla kind of shakes or, or jumps near the tower, you see which towers are built well. You see which ones are, are constructed in a way that lasts, again, when the ground shakes. And so the, the disruption that happens around the tower, it shines a light on the parts of the tower that are out of balance. Uh, the parts of the tower that were constructed in areas and in ways that, that didn't hold when the disruption came. But that's that's the thing about disruptions is is a lot of is, is they don't create the problems themselves. A lot of times they just they just show you where they are. The ground shaking will show you where the tower is weak. The disruptions will show you where the cracks are. They'll show you real fast. And sometimes if there's enough pressure, the tower will all come tumbling down. And I don't have to tell you, every one of us has had disruptions this year. There, there are some that we've kind of shared collectively and, and across our society, but there, there are other disruptions that have been more personal, some stemming from those bigger disruptions, but some of them unrelated. And, and I know a lot of us, again, have, have felt the, the ground shake in our own lives. Uh, and, and the question that I kind of open with is, is how have those uh, disruptions, how has the ground shaking in your life revealed areas where Maybe there are cracks, areas where, uh, where our, our lives or our towers were not constructed uh, as well as we thought. Things we didn't notice when everything was going well. 
And so, that's, that's, so the question of this series and the question of our, our lives as Christians is how can we take those things that are broken and how can Jesus rebuild those in a way uh, that's better, a way that's more solid, a way that's more dependable and ultimately more centered around him. So again, that's, that's the big question of the series. That's why we call it a rebuilding. And throughout the series, we've been looking at stories from the Gospel of John. Gospel of John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And, and again, we've been looking at encounters uh, with Jesus. So people, typically one person has kind of had this really influential encounter with Jesus where, where a part of their life ha- has been rebuilt. And we're continuing that today. Today we're looking at uh, the disciple Thomas. Holland's read uh, the passage from John 20. It's the popular section of of Thomas's story, he, he appears in John 11 and John 14 briefly, but John 20 is where his story really comes into full view. And this is a story that's, that popularly has, his, has him referred to as Doubting Thomas. And so we see when, when Jesus interacts with Thomas here, it's Thomas's faith that has come crumbling apart, and that is in need of great rebuilding. And in, in some ways similar to our life today, when, when, we, when we open up John 20, we're stepping into a time in Thomas's life and a time in the world uh, of great disruption. Uh, to recap, many, many of you know uh, the story of John's gospel, but Thomas was one of those disciples that pretty much left everything he had, everything he owned, everything he knew, and followed this man Jesus, trusting that he was bringing in a new kingdom on earth, trusting that Jesus was the Son of God, trusting that this man was the only way forward. And it all went reasonably well for a couple of years. Jesus performed miracles, gathered crowds, and taught. But then one of Thomas's fellow disciples betrayed Jesus. And then in an instant, Jesus was arrested. And then Jesus was sentenced to death. And then Jesus was killed. And so in a short period of time, Thomas's world went from together and moving in a direction to having completely fallen apart, having completely come undone. The, the picture of, of how he understood not only Jesus, but everything that was happening unraveled uh, in an instant. And so again, many of us know this story. Jesus was crucified, but he, he came back to life. And this is kind of where the story picks up in John 20. Jesus finds the disciples. They, they've been hiding upstairs in this room, fearing that the people who, who wanted to put Jesus to death, wanted to kind of wipe out that movement, would come for them to try and really, really squash this thing out. And so they're hiding up in this room, and Jesus comes uh, and appears to them, appears to all of them but Thomas. And Jesus comes and says, look at, look at the holes in my hands, look at the hole in my side. It's me. I've triumphed over death. And again, Thomas was the one person not there. And then we read in verse 25, uh, they then go and tell Thomas what they've seen. So we read, so the other disciples told him, told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And again, he's often referred to as doubting Thomas. But I think our understanding of what doubt is today misses a little bit of, of what's going on in Thomas's story. I, I think his doubts are less intellectual, less about does God exist, 
less in need of a, a quick argument or apologetic kind of exercise. And, and more, I think his, his doubts are more about the fact that he had gambled his life on this thing that all came falling apart. He saw what was done. He saw Jesus get arrested. He heard he was killed. Uh, his, his doubts are a little more personal than an intellectual exercise. So again, he's referred to as doubting Thomas, but I think more than what he's, more than doubting, I think he's wrestling uh, with coming to grips, trying to square what has happened with what he believes. And so we're going to, for the, for the remainder of the time we have, we're going to look at two parts of Thomas's wrestling with his unbelief. And we're going to look at how God meets Thomas in that wrestling, and then we're going to consider how maybe God might meet us in the midst of our wrestling. So the first thing we're going to look at is the mysterious wisdom of God. And so, again, we kind of left off on the story where Thomas said, until I see Jesus alive with proof that that's him, I can't believe. He's saying, don't tell me everything that is done is undone. And so what we'd expect there, you know, if, we, if we put ourselves in, in God's shoes, which I would not do very often, but if we, if we do that, then we expect God would, would quickly show up uh, and, and relieve Thomas's questions, pop out of the bushes and be like, hey, Thomas, here I am. We're all good. Feel better. Go start telling people about me. We, we'd expect kind of the immediate, the quick the direct resolution to Thomas's struggles here. Because again, he's one of the disciples. Jesus knows him. So again, we'd, we'd expect this to be taken care of quick, quickly. Why wait? But what we see is something pretty different. There are two really odd things, and I already touched on one of them, that happened in Thomas's story. So presumably Jesus knows Thomas is struggling, and then Jesus happens to show up and, and show himself he shows his hands and the hole in his side. He shows what Thomas needs to see to everyone, all of the disciples, except for Thomas. He comes at a time when Thomas is not there. And again, Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's able to enter the room through a locked door. Uh, we can assume Jesus knows Thomas isn't there. Yet Jesus comes then. The other odd thing, the next line after Thomas saying, I will never believe, is eight days later. Some translations say a week later. It all depends. Some, in history, some people counted the day that you're on and some people didn't. So roughly a week later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them, is what we read in verse 26. So Thomas has his big declaration of, I'm struggling to believe. And then the next line is, a week later. Nothing happened for a week. And again, in verse 26, we read, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And that's when we see Jesus come again into this locked room and appear to the disciples, and he goes straight to Thomas. So again, he knows what's going on in Thomas's mind. He goes straight to Thomas and says, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Jesus comes and meets Thomas in the midst of his doubts, in the way that he's questioning. But the question that naturally follows, at least I was wondering when I was reading, was, was why? Why not have Thomas there the first time and save him the wrestling for the week and save him the doubts, save him the, the uh, discomfort? Why not come right after Thomas declares what he needs? Why, why wait? Why wait a week? Why would this way be better? Like, what do you gain in doing that? And the, the reality is I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I, I trust 
that God was doing something there. Uh, when I was going to college, I entered into a, a time of pretty serious doubt myself. It actually kind of started my senior year of high school. I was really involved with my church uh, and was in leadership and a bunch of Christian stuff. And, uh, and then went off to college and some doubts that had crept in my senior year kind of began to snowball a bit. And I kind of viewed college as like a, uh, a reboot almost, like a fresh start, going to turn the page and, and do, do better and kind of get things back on the rails. And so I, I went to a bunch of campus ministries, tried them out, and, and asked some, some really difficult questions that I was wrestling with and uh, didn't really get a ton of answers. But the one thing I kind of consistently heard was, go pray and ask that God will reveal himself to you which is not bad advice, but I, I'll never forget going, going home, lay, laying in my bed, looking at the ceiling, and, and praying uh, something along the lines of, God, I, I want to believe, but I, I got these questions that I can't, that are, that are these huge cracks that I just cannot uh, live with. Will you please reveal yourself to me? And again, I'll, I'll never forget feeling like, expecting the lights to start flickering or, you know, a bird to land on the windowsill or something like that. But I'll, I'll never forget just nothing. And it, it didn't even feel like, it felt almost more like an absence of, of something than, than even nothing. And again, I, I ask this, this similar question, like why? Obviously, that's not how the story ended. Here I am, uh, a pastor at a church. God did reveal himself to me, but uh, it took a year and a half, two years almost, and, and I asked the same question there, you know, why? What, uh, what was good about those two really hard years where those doubts kind of be, became tangled up with loneliness and uh, being in a, a really hard spot mentally? Uh, what, what was, why not just like move the whole resolution up a year and a half and, and spare me all that is essentially the question. And Again, I, I, there are still things I can't look back and explain what was happening, uh, but I, I do believe I, I wouldn't have the faith I have today without it, and I can't even really tell you why. But all I, all I know, all I can trust is that that was part of the path that God had for me to get me where I needed to be today. And again, that's, the, the point of this section was the mysterious wisdom of God. It's still a mystery why these things had to happen. And some say, well, that's great, you had a happy ending. What about, uh, what about my story? What about this person's story? And I just say, the story is not over. Yeah, I, I certainly thought it was for me. But again, God was doing a work in me that I still, don't part, still partly don't understand. And the, I believe the same is true for Thomas in this week. He himself could not see it. We, we, don't, we, don't, we have no information about what happened during this week. But given the tone of what he says beforehand, I don't think it was a relaxing, comfortable week for Thomas. I think it was a, a week of wrestling, a week of frustration, a week of silence. And even while Thomas could not see it, Jesus was working in him to prepare him for what was coming next. I mean, we see this throughout scripture. It's like the Israelites spent, spent years wandering in the desert. Pretty much no, none of them knew why. But God was working on them in their years out there. And again, this, this is what we see throughout Scripture, and it's what we see throughout our lives, that it, it's in these times of crisis. It's when things break. It's when things fall apart. 
when the ground shakes, that change really happens in people. That change happens in the world. And again, in, in Thomas's story, uh, going back to that question of why wait a week, in, in Thomas's story, uh, in my story, and a lot of our stories, uh, God doesn't work through the, the path of least resistance. He doesn't work through the path of most comfort. doesn't work through the path of least pain. I mean, look at the incarnation. Jesus became a man and, and God was killed as a part of the story. But make no mistake, God, God wants to heal us, but it's just not a, he's not the Tylenol and Band-Aid type of healer. He doesn't just want us to feel better. He wants us to be restored. You know, it's not Band-Aids and Tylenol. It, it's surgery. It's scalpels and stitches. And a lot of times we, ha we have to be cut open before we can be sewn up. We have to be broken down before we can be built up. And so one last thing before we kind of move on from this, this section. Uh, in those seven days of silence, those seven days of wrestling and frustration, it's very easy to, to want the old ways back, you know. Uh, to want the, the old tower to be standing even though it had its flaws. We look at, again, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, Jesus, through Moses, brings the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt, they finally escape the Egyptian pursuit. They're in the desert, and someone will start grumbling that they want to go back. They get hungry and say they want to go back. So they say, we'd rather be slaves when we had food to eat than be out here and be free. So they're, they're the, the Israelites. At the arc of one, of one of the biggest redemption and liberation stories in Scripture are wishing they could just go back to the way things were. When they were broken back in the day, but at least we, we didn't like we didn't have to face it, you know. It wasn't put in our face. There's a desire to go back when things were still broken, but they just weren't as apparent. They weren't forced uh, to draw attention. And so there is that temptation, and I get it. Uh, the, the wrestling, the, the frustration is hard. It, uh, and I know for many of us, it, it often is and feels longer than a week. Again, in, in my life, it was that year and a half, two years. Israelites, 40 years. Paul writes about having this thorn in his flesh. We don't know if he ever had that taken away. And so as we wrap this, this point up, the, the question I'd have is, are you wrestling like Thomas? Are you frustrated like Thomas? Are you wondering what, what God is waiting on to show up, to move how long has it been? I know for many of us, it's been a while. And again, I, I don't know why it takes a while sometimes. That's, that's God's mysterious wisdom. You may one day find out, you might not ever know. But what we do know from the story of Thomas is that in the, in the silence, in the wrestling, in the frustration, God is doing a work in us. Even, even in those times where it feels like the tires are spinning and nothing's happening, even those times, like for me, uh, in college, the tires were spinning. I felt like I was sliding down the hill. Like I, I, I wasn't just holding my position. I was moving backwards. But even in those moments, God is working in us. And we'll see how Thomas's story ends here. We, uh, our second point, redemption. God used Thomas's doubts. And so in verse 28, again, after Jesus has shown Thomas the holes in his hands, 
shown the hole in his side. Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. And it's the only time in the, in the Gospel of John where someone calls Jesus God. And we don't know this, but I, I really believe that that statement he makes, that, uh, that turnaround in his faith might not have happened without that week. And what seemed like a week of frustration, frustration and what seemed like a week of nothing, where nothing was happening in Thomas's heart, nothing was happening in his mind, in some way, in God's mysterious wisdom, something was happening. Jesus was working in Thomas in a way that prepared him for that moment, for, for his, his broken, struggling faith to turn around into a, a vibrant, living faith. And the crazy thing, too, is, is that week prepared him in a way he wouldn't have even known to have asked for. I certainly would not, would not, would not have asked for a year and a half of, of wrestling. But in God's wisdom, I trust that I needed that. And with Thomas's story, uh, this legacy of, of this declaration of faith, the church history tells us he went on to India to start the church there, and centuries of ministry happened that may not have happened without that week of wrestling. So as I kind of wind it down here, the, the thing I'll leave you with is this statement that, that the, the greatest tools many of us have for our ministry, our ability to care for other people, are, are these places where we've wrestled, places where we've felt that pain and that frustration places that felt dead, but that, that God has brought new life into. Because that's, that's resurrection right there. We have new life in the eternal sense, but we also have, we have new life in, uh, in the earthly sense too. There are areas of our life in, where envy, uh, after a time of wrestling, is turned to generosity. Where hatred, after a time of wrestling, is turned to love. There are all these places where we've been wounded, but are then healed by God. So that's how we can see new life from death in our own stories, and that's how other people can see it in us. We, we can show our, our wounds that have been healed by God. We can show the broken parts of our life that have been rebuilt. That's Thomas' story, that's my story, that's all of our story. That's the Christian story. So again, I'll close with a question similar to the one I asked earlier. One for you to think about and pray on, and I'll I'll open us in prayer and then give a little bit of time for you to, to talk to God. Here's the question. What has all of the disruption of 2020 revealed in your life? What has the ground shaking brought in front of your face? And do you believe that God is in work, at work in that? Please pray with me. You can use this time to talk to God, and then I'll close us in prayer.
Lord, in the midst of our wrestling, help us trust you. We so easily doubt not only that you are there and that you are real, but also that you are in control and working things both in our lives and in the world towards good. Help us see the story of Thomas uh, as evidence of that. Help us trust you, Lord, uh, in the the areas where we struggle to trust. We we pray for faith. And we ask that in the the pain of our life uh, that we we would feel and see the new life that can come only from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.